I'm not going to make a $5 thing. My, my mission in life is to make cool shit, right? So I'm not going to make a $5 anything. I'm going to make the best thing possible. If you're looking to leave the nine to five and elevate your side hustle, the Hustle the Day podcast is the podcast for you. Your host, Trent Bray, left the nine to five grind behind and is helping others do the same and focus on the future. Hear from others who have done it and how they did it. Jump in as we talk entrepreneurship, mindset, and strategy. Just take it one day at a time and hustle the day. On this episode of the Hustle the Day podcast, I am joined by Callie Keen. Callie has a background in product development and manufacturing, and he has some crazy stories behind it. We talk about BS excuses. We talk about $700 fidget spinners and so many other things. You're going to have to listen to this one. Let's jump into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle Today podcast. Super honored to have Callie Keen here today. Callie, why don't you jump in here? Tell my audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Hey, Trent. So, yeah, I really appreciate uh, being able to hop on the podcast here and share with your audience. Um, so, I am your manufacturing and product guy. That's the, the little short of it. Uh, I grew up in a precision manufacturing facility here outside of Washington, D.C. in Northern Virginia. Uh, I've developed products for high growth startups, for major corporations, uh, for government entities. Um, and I've done that for about 12, 13 years. I really like the challenge of working for the defense market, the aerospace market. You end up designing some amazing things. But when you work with a big corporation, it's kind of like, you you don't get that attaboy. You don't get that personal fulfillment. You don't really know your customer. You kind of just, the best you could hope for is getting another project or getting another contract. But when I would work with entrepreneurs and they're squirrelier and, you know, the projects are difficult from a, from like a cost and a timeline perspective. And like, you know, there's a lot of expectation management where we build something really amazing including an amazing relationship. So you get to know them, you get to know their family, you get to see inside of their business in really a unique way. And like from that, from developing hundreds of products with all those different size organizations, I, I got um, kind of a unique perspective. I say sitting shotgun through entrepreneurship. So seeing all those companies and seeing their successes and their wins and their unexpected victories and their unexpected issues and roadblocks and obstacles and see like all of the tactics and strategies that they use to overcome those problems. And uh, as my family's company, our defense contracting company, as we've grown that with our product strategy, and we'll talk about product strategy in a little bit because I'm like really amped up right now to share how you can grow a business with physical products. But as we grew that company, we worked less and less with entrepreneurs. So I founded Red Blue Collective, which we specifically focus on coaching entrepreneurs. I say innovative misfits, right? To transform product ideas into a business reality. So we're not just selling stuff, we're creating brands, which is really, really important. But um, yeah, I packaged up that experience and made up my framework. And I work with, with people from 
inventive um, inventive would-be entrepreneurs who want to go into the startup space to um, say mid-sized companies that want to do something more entrepreneurial, like very different from what they're doing right now. And so going in and treating their team, their engineering team or their product team, almost like an internal startup and really shaking things up. So that's been, that's been pretty cool. But um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's me in a nutshell. I, I basically, I design stuff, make stuff and teach people how to do the, the same. And yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's very cool. So I'm, I think you downplay that a little bit in that you know, you really have the experience and you you not only talk the talk, you walk the walk. So not only have you uh, you know helped with the larger companies, helped with those defense contracts, you've helped entrepreneurs create products and you've, you know, we'll get into the story in a little bit, but you created this product out of nothing in a short, short time frame. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask you a little bit about working with entrepreneurs that, you know, you talked about are a little squirrely and kind of all, all over the place and <laughs> yeah, no, no disrespect to that. Cause I know that I I'm, I've lived that, but yeah, <laughs> uh, the, the question I have for you is at what point do you have somebody who is so tied to the dream versus manufacturing costs? Like at what point do you have to step in and say, okay, this is getting a little too far out. Like, does that happen very often where it's pushing up against manufacturing capabilities or costs versus the dream? Yeah, that's, that's an awesome, awesome question because that's one of those main uh, obstacles that we talk about all the time is like, um, when I pull people, you know, what's preventing you? And I, I ask this and I put it in like my show notes and I, I ask it all the time, like, what's the one obstacle? What's the one question that if I solve that thing, you know, you could create the life that you want or build the business that you want or what would get you to that next level. And inevitably, it's it's some flavor of funding, right? It's something like, hey, I want to do this big thing, but I can't because I need a million dollars. And uh, what I've found is with uh, the, the framework that we teach, one, I, I really do heavily focus on showing people how you can build revenue because I think that's the best thing to validate a market. We can always we can always serve our target audience in ways that will build revenue. It'll build like trust factor, you know, no like trust factor, and then we can move on to our big our big idea. So we have a strategy that we call traction products that breaks that down and creates a unique way of getting to market. But um, there's also there's also interesting investment opportunities for people that have truly game-changing ideas. Uh, if you listen to the NHYPE podcast, there's, uh, there's large corporations, government entities, charitable organizations that they put out these kind of bounties for innovation. So if you have a really big idea and you solve something like automation, education, uh, health, uh, food, agriculture, um, there's a host of different robotics or AI, like basically big world problems. If you truly have an idea that's really big that you can't break it down into smaller ideas because it's not an e-com idea, it's a, something really big. There's people out there that are willing to give you, you know, 200,000, 500,000, a million dollars for that to exist without, uh, without taking any equity. And we've been super successful with this in the past 
I'd say 12 to 18 months. So we've gotten millions of people funding through those vehicles. So from HeroX or challenge.gov or similar, you know, similar programs. So um, that just like all goes back to, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing, I'm wearing uh, Brian's hat, but it looks like my, my little logo and hype logo as well. Cause you know, Entrepreneurs get really, really uh, focused on that idea, right? And they fall in love with that idea. But uh, we'll present some obstacle and say like, well, you know, if, if, if this happened, like, so I guess I just don't have any dreams left, you know, they, they throw it away. And uh, so I put all those things into that end hype bucket. You know, that's like what we were talking about, you know, fake gurus or fancy people giving people advice or I say... Um, you know, say like you had a startup and you had one big hit and then you're going around telling everybody this is the way that you're successful. And I'm like, that's survivor bias. Like there's all these end hype things that I, I put into this bucket and that's what we generally try to focus on. But um, people being down on themselves and it's like almost the hype of failure <laughs> is a, is a you know, it's such a big thing. So um yeah, yeah, it's interesting that there's so many different funding vehicles out there. Um, you know, you've, like I said, we'll get into a story, but you, there's Kickstarter out there. Yep. Um, you know, there's those government contracts. There's those uh, companies out there looking for those innovative ideas. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing with like software companies. They'll put bounties out there if you can break their code or, you know, you can find vulnerabilities. It's, it's all to get them better. So they're willing to put money out there to help themselves out. And in the process, it helps you out at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, so we've seen with, if you're, if you're making a commercial product, like a, a consumer good, we've seen people build audiences. We've seen them go from uh, white labeling products that are available with their brand. So customizing them. So they, so they are, you know, definitely serve their audience, but they build the brand because they're in alignment. They look great. They, they, you know, they build revenue that way. We've seen people do very customized versions of that. Of course, in the supplement industry, this is really common. Food industry, this is super common like with co-packing, but people don't understand that in physical products, this is pretty common as well. Like if, and uh, if you go into Home Depot or Walmart or Costco, you know, you see, you see Kirkland brand, it didn't just like magically appear, right? They, they don't build a factory to build that thing. They just go to the manufacturer and say, hey, why don't we strike a deal? And if you have the audience and you have the access to customers, you can do this for pretty much anything that you want. And I've, that's been really successful for us as a funding vehicle and a customer validation tool for consumer goods. And then on the super high end, we're, you know, I'm dealing with people where we're looking at SBIR grants, right? And things like working with DARPA. And I'm like, this is the same thing. It's the same, it, you know, it's the same thing. So uh, teaching people to go to a university and getting, um, getting unused intellectual property that like professors are basically generating intellectual property and not commercializing it all the time. And I'm like, I, I used to want to be the, like the smartest person in the room. And now I treat things like I just want to. I just want to get them done. So I tell people, 
you need to be dumber. You know, you need to get a dumber person. So I'm like, here's this DARPA call. Uh, I know how to sell stuff and pit and roll up and pitch an idea. So I'm going to go to this university, get intellectual property, try to commercialize it with this with this grant and form a company. That's what we're going to do. And and you can you know so there's there's if you have a dream it yeah there's Kickstarter there's crowd equity there's venture capital but there's all kinds of crazy ways of doing stuff too and it really depends on you got to formulate that goal and say this is the life that I want this is the kind of business that's going to help me get there this is what I want to do who I want to serve and line up your actions to those things instead of just like oh I'm going to what was me myself out of my dreams or I'm going to build a, a business that I hate because I don't like having a, you know, banker venture capital people breathing down my neck about growth or, Hey, I don't like having to deal with the U S government for my SBIR grant. And it's like, why did you form that company like that then? You know? So, you know, we live, we live in like the very accessible time like ideas and people are very connected and we're all kind of stuck at home. So it's kind of even easier now to like make those pitches and make those connections. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. What, what do you want to do? Yeah, it's absolutely true. And I think going back a little bit to, you know, people white labeling things, I think Amazon has really pulled back the curtain on that because you see, <laughs> you know, through the, the FBA crowd, you see, the exact oh, same man. product, multiple different brands. And yep. uh, yeah, it's definitely helped people realize, oh yeah, this is a common thing. And the, the drop shipping and the FBA stuff. And it's like, um, yeah, I was just, I was just talking to a, a drop shipper and uh, they've come to this same realization that they can't, they can't really build a brand. They can build a business that it builds revenue, which is fantastic because so many people don't get to that stage. But they've realized that without creating their own product or at least white labeling a product, they're not really building a brand. Like if they stop, they stop. All the revenue stops. There's nothing that can happen really automatically. They can't stack products. Uh, like we show people how to create product portfolios, right? Where you know you can up upsell, you can you can you can build your you can build your list that's you know sell across different verticals there's there's a lot you can do when you actually have a real business drop shipping is kind of a it's a tactic it's not a business right it's just it's um but what the uh, advantage of that is and from a traction product perspective is those people have learned how to do Facebook ads. They've learned how to do customer service. They've learned how to make those kind of connections and think entrepreneurially. And so they've moved past a lot of the obstacles that people would have. And generally they have a little bit of revenue. So it's easier to get into, you know, creating a custom product. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually how I, I started uh, with the Hustle Focus Energy is I started with a white label or a private label product, mm -hmm. tried to modify it, spent a year doing that. And finally, it didn't work out. Um, and so I went, you know, a completely custom route uh, to create what it is today. But you know what it is? it is like you mentioned something, the supplement industry, there's a lot of it out there of mm -hmm. people marketing the exact same product with a different label on there. 
and you know what it it works if it works along with their brand but um there's definitely something where you help to guide people in those product decisions on whether they need to go that route or whether they need to create the completely custom thing. I mean, you have expertise in both sides of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very easy to uh, be overly romantic about your product business journey. And I have a great client who uh, I'm going to be sharing a lot more details come next month uh, about her journey, but, she was in one of my earlier uh, incubator programs and she has a hair tool and to develop a product of that kind. So uh, it's a heated liquid producing like imagine like Keurig, but for a conditioner for, mm. for curly hair to develop that product, you're looking at mm, let's say 150 to $200,000 to fully like get the first run of that product to market. So from paper to that pr- production ready product and it's like okay well that's too much money so i guess we just give up right but uh we've we've gone through a process and she's she did an excellent job of this is like using social media and other content tools to hone her message and and validate her customer picking out products that that those customers wanted white labeling them then getting custom versions of those made building revenue and then what we say is then your product becomes an inevitability because you're dropping it into, into a system that already works. So when she's approaching venture capital and she's approaching these, even manufacturers, she can say like, look, I have 20,000 people that follow us. I have these famous people that are on our advisors. I have these resources. I have this revenue and everybody really wants this product. So like winners win, you know? But if you're going to a manufacturer and saying, well, I have this kind of 3D printed thing and it doesn't fully work, but I want you to help me make it work and I'm pretty sure that it'll sell. It's like, hey, I'm in the business of making stuff. I want to make a lot of stuff and I want to make good stuff. So like, uh, I'll have to pass on this because I know it's going to be a pain in the butt, right? And I'm not quite sure that it's going to succeed. But when you get on the other side of that, kind of using that that traction methodology it's like wow this person's already winning i want to i want to hop on this team i want to be part of this team i want to be part of this success story you know this is going to be a case study this is going to be a big order uh this is going to be something that i'm going to 10x my investment on and and that's and that's worked so like that's you know i it's just so easy to look at that initial idea and I, I know you've heard me say this like a million times, but I love this quote from Ed Cathmill, right? Is that is like um, where to paraphrase, he's saying that ideas are like ugly babies, right? It's like, we think that they're beautiful, but other people look at it and like this kind of needs to grow up and mature a little bit. You know, it's really easy to look at that, that product idea and obsess about it. And that's why I say over and over again, Every time I put out a piece of media, we're going to transform product ideas into a business reality, right? Because products are a strategy for a moment in time. In two years, your product won't look the same. Your product won't look the same. You might have three products, right? You might have a different way of selling the product, like your channel, your 
your channel strategy, your customer acquisition strategy will change. So much of it will change, but it's really easy to obsess about this one point and not see that the business is supposed to be a vehicle for you to achieve the life that you want to achieve, not like uh, some kind of self-absorbed ego trip to like get your idea and foist it onto the world, right? You're like nobody wins in that scenario, right? So... Yeah, no, that's a good point is, you know, what people do create the products largely out of ego. I mean, at least in, in my experience, I've dealt with that a lot. I worked for a company for five years where that's what it was is the owner created the products, not necessarily what the market wanted, but it more of a, hey, I can do this. And they didn't sell the, the company, I mean, ended up going from a multi-million dollar company to almost nothing where it was then sold off. But yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things that people can romanticize it and (laughs) get too caught up in it. And that's, that's absolutely the case, which is unfortunate because you know, the ideas have good intentions, but you need to be able to execute on it and change with the times because um, that's a constant in life is change. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's right. And if you can acquire customers through any means, then you have this pool of people that are already interested in what you're doing and you can just ask them, ask them what they want. And like uh, I was saying is uh, K-Form, our defense contracting company, like our, our services probably aren't as as appealing unless, unless you're into like hardcore manufacturing, I guess. Um, but our products are, they're kind of boring what they do. And uh, it's not like, it's not even something that you could use my own competitive competitive analysis framework to go and find the products. I literally just, when somebody is interested in it, I ask them about their problems. And then if enough people tell me, hey, I want a product that does something like this, we develop that product. That's it. And, and, And it just so happens that the products are really expensive. So if I make if I make one, it pretty much pays for that whole that whole. You know, I don't have to keep inventory. We, uh, um, you know, we we make it ourselves, so it can be as custom as you want. Like it's set up for what our capabilities and what our uniqueness is, like what our our kind of core niche. But it still like boils down to a really dumb strategy. It's like we have certain customers. Every time I see them, I ask them what they want. And if they're willing to buy it, I make it. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds so simple, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, so our our customers are are government entities and our products are as expensive as a car. So we sell millions of dollars worth of the product a year. And it's like, how do you find those people? It's like, well, they are difficult to find. But once you get a hold of them, make sure you just ask them what they want and you deliver what they want. Like, but... I've found from selling e-com stuff and, you know, total novelty goods, it doesn't work any differently than that, right? And the analogy that I give is like Boeing doesn't build a fighter jet and then ask the U.S. government if they like to fly, right? The government has a need and they're like, you know, we're, we're the best in the world, right? We can build anything you want. So if you pay us some money, we'll develop a specification for you and you can float it around and help us build the specification. And then, you know, Boeing's going to hook you up. And, and like, that's, that's how 
winners do it at the billion dollar level, but for some reason, entrepreneurs, they do it in a self-defeating way. It's like they want to build a fighter jet and they, they've never seen a plane, you know? <laughs> so, so, uh, we kind of have to get over, we have to get over that. And, yeah. So, you know, you've, you talked about how you think, you know, obviously you're coming from a product based company and product based background, but yeah. how is it that you think products are going to really grow and scale a business in 2021? Well, yeah, so this is, this is great. So, um, there's, there's a lot of opportunities there. One of the biggest ones, and I want to get it out of the way right now is the idea of barriers to entry, right? And this is the, this is the thing to get onto the other side of is because it's difficult, it's worth doing. And because it's harder to enter the market, that's the opportunity. That's the separator. That's where we create the distance between us and our competitor. So if you're a digital marketer or you're, you have a total knowledge product, right? An easy way to create separation is to then add a physical product. That's, that's, you know, if you're an, if you're a influencer, you're a thought leader, you're a coach you're anything, the barrier to entry. And, and even if you're the best, you're the best in the world, right? The barrier to entry is almost zero right? You can just hang out your shingle and say, I'm a digital marketer. You go out there, I'm a copywriter. And that's why you see so many kind of scammy kind of nonsense in that, in that industry. It's really hard to separate yourself and, and elevate your brand to a level where you can say, you know, I am, I am better because everybody's click funnels, lead page or whatever looks the same, right? And until you get in and you dig in deep and you're like, wow, this person really has done this thing. They really know what they're doing. So that aside, just think about that. It's like, yes, making a physical product is more difficult than selling a knowledge product, but that's why there's an opportunity, right? Um, say, <laughs> I tell people where there's mystery, there's margin, right? So like where there's difficulty, there's opportunity, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the little bit of that. But, um, you know, just from like a broader, like macro perspective, e-com is, is huge, uh, if you looked at 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, you everybody was obsessed with getting their product into a physical store. And I'd say even for my uh, consumer product good companies, they, uh, they even five years ago, people were super obsessed with getting their product into a store. They'd be like, yeah, I'm making a toy. I want to get it into the toy store. I'm like, well, that toy store doesn't exist anymore. So, <laughs> right. And they're like, I want to get it into Best Buy. I'm like, Best Buy is closing. So, um, you know, so now people are like onto my thesis of, hey, you can spend all your time to try to get to try to get that retail partner, or we can build in the pricing and the structure that you're going to need for to have a distribution partner and have a retail partner eventually. But in reality, between you and me, we're probably going to replace that with like some other sales channel, like a distributor or an affiliate network or something else that's going to scale digitally. But we pretend like that's, that's the way that it is because right now, you know, if I'm looking for something, I'm going to Amazon, right. Or I'm going, I'm searching Google or I'm looking on YouTube or for me, uh, you know, I'm still on Instagram looking for stuff. I just bought uh, English bulldog from Instagram, right? It's yeah. like, you know, so it's, it's uh, thank you. Yeah. She's the best, but, uh, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you, uh, 
get in line with the actual behavior. So for people who are, um, who, you know, who are thinking about the, they're thinking about opportunities. I'm like, analyze your own behavior. Like, what do you actually do? And they're like, oh yeah, I look on Instagram and I buy a dog. It's like, so why are you trying to get your product in, into a store? So e-com is great, but that also means that we can be as big as we want Right. And we can also we can leverage things like fulfillment companies instead of having it be in a store. We can use distribution companies. We can use partnerships. And like you can run a seven figure e-commerce business from your laptop or your house. Right. And not to have like massive physical infrastructure. And that's becoming instead of becoming true like it was five years ago, it's the necessity now. So I think that's that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's been lots of people who have asked me, you know, when I create my product is like, oh, what stores are you trying to put it in? It's like, I'm not. I'm trying to sell it direct to consumer on, on my yeah. website. <laughs> I mean, there's there's obviously partners that you can partner with, but it's not about getting it into brick and mortar. That's not the end all be all like it used to be. Yeah, 100%. And like it that kind of is the same as we were talking about the traction products is like we can we can look at that as like that's a possible inevitability, but in the past 10 years ago somebody would say, "Well, I need this much money and that's going to build my inventory and then I'm going to sit on it. I'm going to try to do this deal with Toys R Us." Mm-hmm. And after meeting a dozen or more entrepreneurs that have their basement filled with whatever thing that they were trying to do because they never landed that deal. Uh, I, I'm all about selling DTC, direct-to-consumer. Um, all, I'm all about creating partnerships with other people that own those audiences. So like uh, kind of outside and maybe meeting, le- leading into something we talk about a little later, like collaborative launches, right? Whoever owns that audience is kind of list hacking, but for physical products. I think. Um, all the attention is digital right now and the opportunities are massive for, for, for me, I, I talk to people and they might have a really great idea, but then I get to the core of it and it's because they have some unique piece of information or knowledge from their job or from their past experience, or they have, uh, yeah, they have some kind of gift. They have some kind of edge, uh, unfair advantage. I'm like, oh, you stuck that unfair advantage into this idea, but there's all these other ways that we can do that, including, hey, Trent, you've got the skills. Like, let's apply those skills with like our buddy who has 100,000 people that are listening to everything that they say. And like, let's, you know, let's actually get a product to market. And there's lots of cool things that we can do that you just couldn't do even, I'd say, for sure, ten years ago, but for, mm-hmm. for five years ago, I think the opportunities for solo entrepreneurs or really small, tight teams to develop products is is just really on point right now. And um, I'm kind of afraid that in another five years, this is this is going to be so wired in that the barrier to entry is going to increase. That's okay. You know that e com is going to be the only thing, and edging out e com. Um, may may start to get more difficult. Cer- certainly from a from an ads perspective, right? Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening. Uh, you know, once you're the only game in town, it's easy to monetize that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, story that you know I think you're most known for is 
you know, you're creating something out of nothing. You know, people talk about all these excuses and I know you're big on how excuses are just BS and they really are. Um, So tell us a little bit about this story of how you created something out of nothing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was going around and this is when I first founded Red Blue Collective. So um, I wanted to eat my own dog food a little bit. And what I teach people to do is go do customer interviews, go actually engage people and, you know, figure out what they want and build what they want. Right. So like, um, (laughs) this is funny. It's like 2015, 2016, I was speaking at makerspaces, universities, uh, different entrepreneurial events. And this is before I ran incubators and before, um, we did a lot of the, like the heavy coaching programs and stuff. And I just wanted to find out like, Hey, I'm from this kind of behind the scenes industry manufacturing, right? We actually like, I actually engineer and make stuff, but I don't know outside of this world, like what, what, what problems people are having. So, um, I spoke like, I don't know, I'd say like once a week for, for, uh, for a couple of years and I would show people, hey, here's our product development process. Like, this is what I've used to develop hundreds of products. Like, this is the way, this is the way that you pitch a B2B customer. This is the way you pitch a B2C product. Here's, you know, here's a case study of this. And I thought, like, people would take the information and be like, I'm going to start a business. I'm in, right? But instead, it was like, the more creative I was of creating this content, the more creative people were for excuses they said like oh i lack the time i don't have the money uh, i don't have the resources you know i mean they're looking they're looking at uh at my business and they're saying like you know you've got millions of dollars you have you have a huge facility like you can make anything that you want so like i can't do that because i don't have what you have and i'm like this is this is this is is junk thinking right because yeah excuses are poison and as a a demonstration of the red blue collective framework i gave myself a challenge like i would hack a kickstarter because at the time kickstarters in 2016 were even more popular than they are right now um and as a funding vehicle that's what everybody wanted they either wanted to do licensing deals which i i don't fool with i direct them to a friend of mine or they wanted to do kickstarters and uh i said okay so what i'll do is i'll do a kickstarter and i'll launch it in 20 days from nothing and i'll show uh, my community that I'm using this process and I'm going from literally a blank sheet of paper through, uh, you know, list building through prototyping to a live launch. If I don't make money, like you'll see that, you know, I'm just, I'm full of it, whatever, but it's going to be up there for everybody to see. Uh, yeah. I didn't use like my manufacturing facility. I didn't use my overseas partners. I mean, we get like tens of thousands of things made. So it's like, um, I'm just going to use the community makerspace tools. If I'm not cleared to use a tool, or I don't know how to use it. I'm going to barter. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say, Hey, like we'll do, I'll do this. And you do this part for me. I didn't pay for any complex marketing plans. I didn't use like any teams or consultants that I would use. I used Instagram and a landing page and I showed people every decision of exactly how I did it. So, um, how did we pick a, a product that we would build. And since I had very limited time, it had to be simple. 
So you'll laugh at what it is. Uh, everybody who's listening to this will laugh. And you have to put this in the context of time as well. So <laughs> bear with me. But, you know, I tell people to pick a customer segment that you have an unfair advantage with because you actually care. I think that's like the second end hype episode is it's, it's like the ultimate unlock in business. It's like if I'm serving a customer segment that like I'm, I'm, I'm a member of that tribe and I actually care about them, like I know the way that those people think because I'm one of those people. I can be authentic because I'm that guy, right? And if I have to do something really fast and I have to make something really valuable, like I'm going to go to that every single time. I'm going to serve my own group of people because I don't need to do like focus studies. I don't ha have to pay for industry research. I already know who the leaders are. I, I know where those people hang out. I know the unique vocabulary. I know like the events and the magazine or whatever it is. Like I already know that stuff and it's like cheat mode for sure, right? But I asked them about their problems, their feelings, their complaints. I, I involved them in the development process. So that literally at the time was me drawing live on Instagram and Facebook mm. and taking pictures of it and being like, hey, should I make this or this? What do you think about this? What do you think about this? 3D printing stuff and filming it and showing them. Um, but like, what the hell did we make, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we made, it, we made a $200 fidget spinner. And you have to realize that at the time, like. Um, there were very few people outside of machinists that made fidget spinners, right? There weren't the injection molded ones. They weren't in 7-Eleven. They were pretty rare. And they were so rare that when people would make them and post them on Instagram, they would be sold out immediately. They were being pre-sold for $100, $200 with like backlogs in the, like in the month, two months. And I was like, if I'm going to have to show people how to make something make make something where the problem is is like there there's too much money and not enough product right <laughs> so um yeah and of course i know machinists i know knife hobbyists because like i'm i'm that guy right i'm i'm the guy that buys all the edc stuff so uh, i'm like i know where they hang out i know what they think is cool at least to a certain point right um but yeah we we launched the kickstarter we did 40k in pre-sales um People who are outside of the niche, they couldn't believe that we charge two hundred dollars for a fidget spinner. They're actually, if you bought the full package, it's two hundred and thirty bucks, mm -hmm. and um, they thought like, "Hey, it should be five bucks," because they're not a member of our niche, so their opinion doesn't matter. And it's really easy to go out and like ask your mom, you know, ask your cousin, ask your friend, like, "What do you think about this idea?" And they'll be like, "Bro, that's so cool," or like, "No, that's dumb, honey. You shouldn't do that." And I'm like, "Those people's opinions don't matter at all, right?" Only your customers' opinions matter, and they only really matter when they pay money. <laughs> so, so people wanted it. That was it. That that I mean, it worked, right? And then I showed people that, and they had like more excuses. This is what was crazy. It's like uh, they said that to be successful, now you would have to make a cheap version. So even the people that saw it, they were like, "You have to make a five or ten or twenty dollar version of this thing." And that's how you'll scale your business. And and um, I'm kind of like, uh, at at my heart, like I'm like my my tribe, the, the tribe that I that I coach, right? I'm a I'm an innovative misfit. That's how I, I want to identify myself, or an outsider. So I was like, yeah, screw those guys. Like, I'm not going to make a five dollar thing. My my mission in life is to make cool shit, right? So I'm not going to make a five dollar anything. 
I'm going to make the best thing possible. So uh, as our next thing, and I, you have to understand that as I was doing these, I was actually posting like a class that people could attend and say like, hey, I'm going to go over and show you exactly how I'm doing this like in a month. And then I do it, post it all online, and then uh, do a recap in a class. <laughs> so it's kind of like, <laughs> like uh, but I, I mean, it's just put yourself under pressure, I guess. But um, yeah, so I said, I'm going to make the most expensive fidget spinner in the world. That's what we're going to do. And we pre-sold the artifact spinner for $700 and we sold out in a week and a half we sold more than 150 of them and that's not counting the special editions that sold for over $3000 which we, we donated the money for so it's kind of a kind of a cheap cheap thing like we you know uh, auctioned off one and then gave money back to the makerspace auctioned one off gave it to a to um, a museum that's in Baltimore and stuff but here here's the deal it's like we didn't even need kickstarter we pre-sold through a through a Squarespace page, right? We didn't need a fancy website. I didn't have an ad campaign. Didn't run a single Facebook ad on the second thing. We just created the product and we created our own niche for that. And the reason that it worked is that we collaboratively launched with uh, a friend, Chris Bathgate, and he makes these phenomenal CNC machine sculptures. So they're just uh, un unbelievably complex and beautiful. But they're they're pretty expensive, right? And he he'd only made a few smaller pieces previous to that, and of course they all sold out. So it's like we're taking the value of a ten or twenty thousand dollars sculpture and we're putting it in your pocket. Wow! So we we coined the term pocket sculpture. So we didn't sell a fidget spinner; we sold a pocket sculpture. It just happened to be a fidget spinner. So this is a this is a lesson in perceived value. And this is what I, I have in my strategic product pricing is that people have to understand that they, they want to go into a market being the cheapest, but you should be going into the market being the cheapest relative to the value that you're providing and value is subjective. So like if I'm able to provide a, a limited edition sculpture by a, a famous artist for $700 instead of $20,000, it's amazing. Right. Right. But if I'm selling a seven hundred dollar fidget spinner, like I'm a criminal, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's you know that's the thing. But yeah, like I did I did that whole thing, and I do similar things like that to just show people, hey, like you can do it too. Like you, you know, you don't have you don't have to like. I'm working with a bunch of uh, green tech, like so solar. Uh, solar startups, right? Mm -hmm. With the Department of Energy, I'm working with robotics, um, like very innovative robotics companies, and they're at one end of the market. And then I'm working with people that are doing like a hair tool or an e-com product. And they, see, they don't realize here's the cheat: is that the that people are people, right? And businesses are businesses all the way up. It doesn't matter if you're doing a eight-figure tech startup, right? And you're, or you're doing this, if you're doing the fidget spinner, like the, the framework is the same, all right? And our objectives are the same. Running a good business is the same, like making people happy, making sure that their problems are being solved, having good customer service, you know, going over the top, all of the things that we know make, you know, make a good business is the same. It's, it's just that, 
Um, we just we want to perceive that the really difficult thing is worth maybe worth doing, and it should be harder. But it's like the the framework is the same. I, I just I found this to be demonstrably true. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, the crazy thing is you you basically proved it all these people wrong, you know, you use no resources, you use no, uh, no funding, uh, out of your own pocket and yeah. you created what at the time, I mean, it was less crazy, but you know, looking back, <laughs> it was still crazy of a $200 fidget spinner sold yeah. $40,000 worth and then built upon that to create, you know, a new market segment. I mean, like, <laughs> All the excuses are there, and you didn't let any of them get you down. And you you went ahead, you created this amazing product, and it's just one of those things that you, like you said, you wish more people understood. You know, got got the right message out of that of hey, I'm capable of doing this, and rather than oh, let's go to the next excuse, the next excuse, and the next excuse. Yeah, yeah, and like to be fair, to make the more expensive product it required investment. I, I did use a, uh, I did use my machine shop. I, okay. Right. But the first product I, I didn't and it built enough revenue where then I could take that money and I put it right into making the second product. Yeah. Right. Right. So like you, you can, you can do the math 150 times 700. It's a lot better than, than uh 40 K but like, right. I wouldn't have been able to do that second thing unless I had done the first thing. And that's where people get screwed up is they, they create an idealized future and then they don't reverse engineer what that success would be and figure out like, what can I do tomorrow? Or what can I do next week? You say like action creates opportunities. And I always telling people is like, you don't even know how successful you're going to be because when you're down the road, all these opportunities are going to open up to you because you're going to be, in like the slipstream of reality, right? I don't, I don't know like a better way of putting it, but like it just seems like when you're doing the right thing, other stuff happens. Almost to the point where we have another problem where we have to say, hey, I, I, I'm going to stay on the ball here because I, I don't want to go off with this person and do this other thing. I'm going to stay focused. But it, it's really easy to look at that, that future and say, I can't get there instead of just looking at it and saying, I have personal responsibility and I have my own unique skills and I could do something tomorrow. I could do something next week. I could do something next month. You know, I could do something in the next couple months. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, my initial idea, that sucked. Like, that was, <laughs> I don't even want to do that anymore. I have such a better idea and it's so much easier. And I have this partner that's going to help me do it. And I have this, you know, I, ha I understand the market and how to do this and how to do that because you, you, you'll never know until you're, you know, until you're actually like building it up. So, yeah, no, that, that helps me realize I did it all wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> when I was creating my product, you know, I, I did solicit the advice of people on Instagram on, you know, decisions based in that product I was creating, but I could have been doing more in the run up to that, to, build the momentum, build different product categories and different things along the way to get to the thing that I was romanticizing about. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, there, there is like, there's some, I, I can understand with certain types of ideas and, and products, the apprehension is like, Hey, if I show people what I'm doing, 
like my idea is going to get stolen. And like we go pretty in depth about intellectual property protection and how, how you create strategies around that. But um, when it comes comes down to it at the at the end of the day, and there there's this picture of me actually in uh, Shenzhen holding up to my eye the uh, the knockoff the incredibly garbage knockoff of the uh, artifact spinner because I see it right there, and I also saw all my friends other you know two three hundred dollar fidget spinners there you know knocked off, but it's like um, at the end of the day like mine was already sold out, right. I made one and and pre-sold the rest of them and then made them and then we didn't make any more. So it like people were sending me and sending Chris the knockoffs. But it it like I understand with with a with like a tech product or something else like you want you want to protect that idea and you don't want to get it out there but you don't have to like spill the beans. You don't have to tell everybody what you're like exactly what you're doing, but you can go out there and still talk to people and say, you know, Hey, Trent, I know you're X, Y, Z. Like, uh, can you tell me about the last time that this happened to you? Or, Hey, you know, like I'm always asking people my, my one question, right? What, what's the one obstacle or question that if I solved, it would get you to the next level. And people say, man, I really want to know more about this. And then I do a podcast on it or I write an article about it. And uh, I don't know, that's, that's like my lazy way because then I don't have to think of what I'm going to talk about each, each week, right? <laughs> <laughs> or bring a guest on to answer the question. But it's like, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't have to go in depth and give away everything. I can just go and ask people what, they, what, what problems that they have. And if I ask 100 people what problems they have and like 80 of them tell me the same thing and then when I ask if I can follow up, like, 60 of those people actually do want to follow up with me, even though they know I'm going to waste another 30 minutes of their time. I'm like, this is, they must really, really care. Like they must really, really care. And, and uh, we do those customer interviews. It's, it's more valuable than, than really anything else, but yeah, yeah people are just, they're, they're afraid, you know? Well, I think it goes back to also you saying that people won't take that action, even though you laid out the framework for them, that people still weren't taking the action. So by you putting yourself out there and, you know, giving some of the idea away and you're afraid people are going to steal it, how many people are actually going to execute on that? And then also how many steps ahead are you already going to be? Yeah. I mean, that's that, that, and yeah. And, and at a certain point you have to, you have to say like, I'm going to be building a brand and people are going to, they're going to love my brand and they're going to love my business or they're going to, they're going to identify with me and my brand. So I'm going to create loyalty because of that and my customer service and because of my quality and I'm going to build a relationship. So inevitably when somebody rips off my product, it's, it's not going to be the same, right? They can't rip off you. Like there's only one Michael Jordan, right? There can't Mm -hmm. be knockoff Jordans. There, there can be a shoe that's less valuable that looks like a Michael Jordan X, Y, Z, right? It'd be like, there can, there can be like direct, actual copycat Jordan ones, but it doesn't mean that it's really like 
going to destroy the Jordan brand. Like nobody's going to buy a Jordan once ever again, right? And if I made a Jordan, it would be worth like probably, well, because I can't make shoes, it would be worth negative $200. <laughs> but even if I could make shoes, like it would be worth 20 bucks or 30 bucks. It wouldn't be worth $180 because there's that perceived value, that pesky perceived value thing again. But it's really hard to erode brand. And uh, yeah, People are just, they're, they're, they're afraid of a thing that like, I'm so afraid that somebody's going to steal my idea that I'm going to do nothing with the idea. And then I don't make any money on it anyways. So I'm like, what's the value of a dream that's not executed. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I get that. And you know, a lot of people get in their own heads and you know, they are afraid to take that action. But like I said, it's, it's about taking that action and, working towards whatever that goal is, whether it's, you know, business related or more importantly, lifestyle related and what that business can create for you. Yeah. Uh, that helps make those decisions come along quicker when you, when you think about the bigger picture rather than, okay, what is this step or what is this step? It's okay. This is what I really want. This is the lifestyle I want. Now let's go execute however, whatever means possible. And that takes yeah. away, like I said, some of the ro- the romanticization of the product the idea. Yeah. 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 The, this is just like a little like coaching psychological aside is like, I'm giving some, somebody something way bigger than their fears. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying like, we're going to achieve a lifestyle, not a business, not a product, not a Facebook campaign. I'm going to, we're going to achieve a life that you want, something really, really big, right? But then I'm also giving people like really actionable steps, like what's the one thing that you can do tomorrow, right? So, right. so like we're stuck in the middle and the middle sucks, right? So the, 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 middle, is like, <laughs> the middle is like the product. I'm like, in the, in the long run, the product's irrelevant. And in the short run, the product's irrelevant. So like, let's just, let's just worry about like the big thing and the small thing and like keep our eye on, you know, let's, let's, let's just steamroll past the, those little, those little pesky obstacles, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I love that. The, you know, the, the product is irrelevant in the long run and the short run. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. just the thing. It's a thing that you're going to do for a little while. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at it that way, it totally changes the perspective. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to take too much of your time. I've, I've really appreciated the, you know, talking with you and going over these things, but um, tell me a little bit about what you're working on and where people can best find you. Oh man. So we, uh, I'll be, I'll be opening coaching back up in January. So we have some slots opening up and that's really where I'm focused on Red Blue Collective right now is uh, we're doing full service product development. And I think that that's great. But my initial concept was like, hey, I'm just going to give you all my experience and have it in an organized framework and give you access to my network. So like you need an XYZ, like I know that person, Uh, not going to hurt my feelings if you don't go with them, but like I can shortcut that process and give you access to like, here's how you get this thing done. Um, So we're going to focus back in on that um, and open up a few slots in, in January. So that should be great. And then the other thing I'm putting a ton of effort into, I'm trying to I'm trying to make this better and better 
every week is is just the end end hype podcast, right? So, um, and we live stream every Thursday at five p.m. Eastern. So I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube, and then I do a recorded show as well. So you know, up it to two times a week, pretty soon. I go. I don't know, but <laughs> but yeah, it, I I try to alternate between something really. Uh, tactical, like in manufacturing, like here's how you actually find a manufacturing partner, and then something that's a little bit more mindset or or marketing focused. So uh, you get a little bit of flavor about different things, and then um, you know I, I tell people this every show, uh, Trent. Like if if somebody has a problem, just DM me. Just if you if you there's something that's stuck, and uh, you're like if I knew how to do this thing, I would be able to do X, Y, Z with my business. Like it's going to take 10 minutes out of my day. And if it, if it changes your business, like I'm just going to give you the answer for it. So like, if you have a problem, message me on Instagram or LinkedIn or wherever I'm lurking around. And um, if I can't answer it right then, I'm going to bring an expert onto my show or I'm going to, you know, turn it into an episode and answer that for you. Cause yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And your, your podcast and hype is super awesome. You know, you end the hype, like it, like it says, <laughs> you know, you cut through the crap. This is what it is. This is what it actually, you know, the, the reality of the situation is, and that helps you see through, you know, what, what you actually need to do. So, um, I definitely am a listener as well. So definitely check that out. I'll make sure to include links in the show description, but Appreciate one it. question I want to ask you before I let you go is personal or business. What is it that excites you about the future? Oh, wow. Um, I think the, uh, the dichotomy between predictability and unpredictability is like, is, is something that I always think about is like kind of our, conversation earlier about like five or 10 years ago, there are certain aspects of the way business operates where you'd say like, Hey, this thing's coming. And, uh, you know, if you ask people in 1999, they'd be like, Oh yeah, there'll be e-commerce malls and this and this, and it took so much longer, but it's also radically different than what anyone else expected. So, um, from kind of my physical product universe, uh, tech, kind of uh, innovation universe, I'm really hyped up about AR and VR, mm. um, uh, particularly like interactive worlds with AR and where that's going. But every time I see an advance, like I've got that Quest 2 on on order, right? It, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not what you expect. And then where it goes, I'll equate it to when the iPhone came out and people were like, what's this app stuff about? And it's like, it's not what we expected at all, but it changed everything. And what every, every pundit thought it was, it's not. Um, and we don't know the opportunities until we're down that pathway, right? And like the, that's what I really like about technology. And that's what I'm really excited for in some of these new things. But particularly in, uh, in AR and VR right now, I think it's going to change everything. I just have no idea <laughs> How, what that's going to look like. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's what makes it exciting is you don't know yeah. where it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. You know, I know I've gotten a ton of value out of this, so I know my audience has gotten a ton of value out of this. So I encourage you all to get out there and hustle the day.